Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to this episode of the High Red Geek Podcast, episode number 36 with Krista Klein, uh, just a great professional, great person, and uh, she is a recent mother, which is just super awesome, uh, and she's also currently pursuing her uh, doctorate, so she's got a lot going on, but um, always a pleasure talking with her. She shared a lot of great stuff in this episode, uh, we definitely got into the whole uh, parenthood uh, sort of aspect of life. And uh, while I'm not there, I'm a recent uncle, so uh, it's definitely starting to be on my mind a lot more. I'm uh, just seeing uh, my brother and his wife going through that and just my role as a uh, kind of a, a somewhat uh, kind of adult parental sort of figure. But um, yeah, we uh, mentioned a couple of things uh, we'll include in the show notes, but um, Krista is uh, just so awesome. And I'm glad that I can uh, continue to highlight her and the great uh, work that she's doing and uh yeah, without further ado, um, keep an eye out for a message from our new sponsor. And then after that, uh, this will be episode number 36 with Krista Klein. This episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast is brought to you by Top Hat, the teaching app that makes active learning come to life. Top Hat already helps thousands of college professors create their perfect course, both inside and outside the classroom. It's a suite of easy-to-use apps to engage your class, adopt incredible next-generation textbooks, or to run tests within a secure digital environment. Best of all, it integrates with all the popular LMS systems and doesn't require IT approval to get started. See why professors in over 700 colleges and universities across North America already use Top Hat to power their classrooms. Visit tophat.com slash geek to learn more. That's tophat.com slash geek. Cool. Well, uh... Yeah, well, uh, we'll go ahead and dive in here, um, and we will uh, just get things started. If you want to give a quick introduction of who you are and how you got to be where we're, where you are today, and then uh, we'll go into pieces of your of your journey. Sure. So um, I, as you know, I'm Krista Klein. I am currently serving as the Assistant Dean for Student Affairs at um, the Rutgers University Honors College in New Brunswick. And what that just generally means is I oversee a lot of the day-to-day operations in a small college within the larger Rutgers. And there's, we are going to welcome our, our first kind of full class of students. So we're going to now have our full 2,000 uh, students in our student body, which is very exciting. So we'll finally have seniors, juniors, sophomores, and first years. So I'll be doing a lot of work. Uh, our building is a residence hall also. So all of our offices are here and all of the students live in this building in their first year. And then they move out to other places on campus throughout their four years. Um, but I'll be working on kind of building traditions, helping to facilitate graduation, and then just kind of all the events and advising that happens outside of the classroom is what I've been able to do now. And I've been doing that for about three years. Prior to that, I worked in uh, the Office of Student Involvement and Community Service at Rutgers, where Dustin, you also worked mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, for a little bit. And I had um, I had worked there for about five years. And prior to that, I got my master's at NYU. I worked at Fordham. I worked at Montclair. So I have kind of in this region, this tri-state area in New York City, I've had a good amount of experiences at different institutions. But as you 
Um, remember Rutgers is really my home base and I went to Rutgers as well. So I've spent a lot of time here and kind of understanding the nuances of a large public research university. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is a, it's a special place Rutgers. Uh, so it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, cause I think, yeah, just the way that it's, you know, laid out and then like during my time there, they're integrating like the medical school and it's just, I mean, they really like kind of solidified the kind of state university of New Jersey sort of thing with like Camden and Newark and New Brunswick and yeah, medical school and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I guess it, and we'll get, cause I'm very curious about like how you're saying like the honors college being its own little ecosystem within the greater kind of university community. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about that, but before kind of just like going kind of chronologically, we'll go, I guess, back a little bit. So, you know, undergrad Krista, you know, <laughs> the things that you were doing, uh, you know, in your undergrad college experience, like how are those like formative for you? And like, what did they give you personally and or professionally that still kind of resonates with you? Cause I know often, you know, it's where people kind of find themselves or find the career of higher ed, um, so I guess what, what was that experience looking like for you? Yeah, so that's definitely true. I had a little bit of a crossroads type of experience where I was a sophomore. I was really involved, particularly interested in new student programs, so orientation, first-year experience work. And um, I was also a journalism major, interested in sports journalism, and I really wanted to actually be a broadcast sports journalist. And I really like golf, which is kind of, I guess, a geek thing that I geek <laughs> out on now. And uh, I applied for an internship at the United States Golf Association, which is in New Jersey, surprisingly. And I did not get that internship. But basically that same day, my supervisor for my orientation leader position offered me an internship working for new student programs. So it was kind of that crossroads that led me down the higher education path. But what was really formative for me when I was a junior is that Rutgers was undergoing kind of the first major change and catalyst that has now led to what Rutgers looks like now, which was called the transformation of undergraduate education. And essentially Rutgers had these smaller colleges that then all merged into one larger uh, college called the School of Arts and Sciences. And we had to merge all of these small college orientation programs into one university-wide orientation. So that was my kind of first look into how colleges work and how organizational change happens. And that actually has led me to almost all of the work that I've done since, which is about organizational change, empowering students to engage in the change-making process, um, engaging stakeholders, kind of finding students who are marginalized and letting them have their voice, letting them understand that they do matter and they can play a role in all of these major change processes at universities. And it's almost led me to what I'm interested in studying in the PhD program, which is related to organizational change. So a lot of it ties together, which is really nice. It's informed me in that obviously I got involved in that more traditional way of leading me to student affairs, but it also kind of gave me this peek into like a how a very complex network institution works. And I really enjoyed that experience as a student and I wanted to continue working in higher ed from that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a really cool yeah, thread that kind of uh, strings through all that you've done. And I know, yeah, you've continued with, um, yeah, sort of that mindset, which like you, you know, you could have gone 
any route that you chose or uh, you know, any other person might have gone like a different route, but like with the honors college doing a lot of that kind of stuff too, um, which I think is great because I, I think that's where kind of the world is right now. A lot of people want to, you know, leave positive impacts in the spaces that they occupy or, you know, just advocate for, you know, po- positive progress and everything. But um, yeah, I mean, that's super unique. Cause I always just heard about it in hindsight when I was there as a graduate student, just for two years of like this huge change. And like, there's still, you know, some of the unique parts that make uh, each campus its own, but yeah, it's all just the the whole networked kind of university um, as you know, just Rutgers university. So um, yeah, that's really neat. And so I guess, yeah, I mean, if you want to talk more about um, what you're doing now and kind of the, like incorporating like the change making and things that you're doing at the honors college and yeah, I can just, for my curiosity, I guess it's just like, you know, that's, it's again, a very unique kind of ecosystem that you're occupying as like the, you know, the Rutgers Honors College as its own thing within the university. So, um, yeah, I guess just explore that. And, you know, what do you enjoy most about that current work that you're doing now? Well, you're totally right. It's very unique and different, um, especially for this large institution, for us to really feel very small. And for those who aren't as familiar with Rutgers, we actually have a river that separates our campuses. So, Uh, We have these five campuses where students have to take a bus. It's the second largest bus system in New Jersey after New Jersey Transit. And um, it's very complicated to get students to get answers to questions, to collaborate with colleagues and other staff, because you have to drive uh, sometimes 20 minutes to get to another office. And so for the Honors College, when we started, which we opened in August 2015, um, we have staff in this building, in this hallway, who are our uh, advising team, so academic advisors. We have our budgeting and finance team here. We have an associate dean for research and innovation. We have a student affairs team. We have admissions folks. We have marketing folks. And we're really lucky to be able to collaborate in a unique way that brings the academic and student affairs experience together, which to me is kind of where the learning magic happens is giving students an opportunity to see what they're learning in the classroom and how they can connect that to their their outside the classroom experience. So Whereas I know for us in who have more of a student affairs focused career, we believe, you know, there's so much learning that takes place outside the classroom. We don't get a chance to interact with faculty as much. And we have faculty who are on staff here. We have faculty who live in our building. So it's given us a unique opportunity at such a large institution to kind of create that smaller feel um, for staff and for students. Uh, So What I think is the most awesome is that opportunity to collaborate and work together. And I wanted to share uh, something that I also know is close to your heart, Dustin, which is that we have a special Honors College event during Rutgers Geek Week, um, which is a a week of events at the university as a whole that kind of focus on subculture and geeking out about things. Um, But because we are an academic unit, I felt really strongly that at the Honors College, we could engage faculty in this work. So um, for the past three years, I'll I'll focus on the first year because I think it was really awesome at the time. Um, My students, I asked them, what is something in pop culture that you're really 
into that you think is awesome that we could look at through an academic lens. And they all wanted to talk about Star Wars. That was kind of what was re uh, kind of reborn around that time. And uh, I found I read an article in The New York Times that was called The Economic Cost of Destroying the Death Star. And it, it was awesome. It was written by a professor at uh the Washington University in St. Louis, and um, we he was an economics uh, professor. We invited him to campus in addition to a Rutgers physics professor and a Rutger, uh, religion professor um, from a school in New York, and they all talked about these kind of academic concepts as it related to the Star Wars universe. So we talked about like the physics of building a lightsaber, like how would that really be possible? And we talked with religion, we talked about um, kind of like religious idols and good versus evil and philosophy in Star Wars. And then, of course, we talked about economics and how uh, destroying the Death Star would really be like a basically be like a huge blow to the universe. <laughs> um, and, the, and not only the economic cost, but like the labor cost and the life cost. It was quite fascinating. Um, and then we showed the Force Awakens. We called the event uh, Star Wars, The Knowledge Awakens. Um, so it was really, yeah, it was really neat to be a part of an environment that could kind of create that event and add that academic component so that students were learning, but they were doing it about something that they really loved. Yeah. Well, yes, I greatly appreciate that. That was one of my uh, one of my favorite things about being at Rutgers is seeing uh, Geek Week happen and being able to be like a small part of that when I was there. So, um, yeah, because I know we've had uh, past guests on the podcast talk a lot about just like being able to build community around those like shared interests, but then even just like kind of putting your foot in the door of like those academic concepts that you know. I think it's a way to help frame them in a way that might be more palatable to. Um, you know, have somebody kind of get their curiosity sparked. Um, and also obviously just like, you know, it's a fun, you know, just a fun event, um, you know, if nothing else, but, um, yeah, that's really cool. And I think, uh, yeah, it's almost like, cause I think that's the ideal that, you know, many campuses I would hope would strive for like what the honors college has, that it's just this very tight, you know, kind of tightly coupled unit where, like you said, all of that stuff that should interact and kind of collaborate is you know very close together and all that and maybe just because of you know a university growing over time or just you know people like transitioning and stuff but like it just becomes a lot more loosely coupled uh, over time but if you know the honors college was created recently and if it's like yes we want to start from here and try to keep that you know kind of um, keep the group very tight together so that everybody can help each other out or just you know make sure everybody's on the same page and all that but um so yeah this that's uh all really cool stuff and i guess uh yeah i guess i don't know if you personally are you know a huge star wars fan or what but i mean um i don't know if you've been able to like bring anything else of like your interest into the work that you're doing but like what are the things that you're really into that you geek out about currently and if it's like stuff that you've always been into or stuff that you've like recently discovered but um yeah what are the what are those things that are bringing you joy lately yeah i think it's funny because you actually said sparking students' curiosity, and that's part of the Honors College mission. We have three core values, which is curiosity, knowledge, and purpose. And so that Geek Week event really helped us to bring out curiosity in students by using that concrete knowledge. So like they could actually learn concepts, but it sparks our curiosity. So um, I always geek out on just 
the work that I do. I know that's kind of lame, but I really do enjoy uh, being able to work with students who are like super excited and passionate about learning and are always challenging and, and wanting to create change like I talked about earlier. So I'm always kind of looking at ways to better um, engage students in that change making process, whether it's the hard conversations that are, you know, you may want to change all of these things, but you really can't, or it's let's figure out a way that we can change this and make this work. So that's really a neat thing about work that I geek out about. Um, it's been an interesting journey over the past six months. So I have a six month old daughter, Mira, and I typically am like a person that has really been passionate about, um, hobbies and like exploring a lot of interests and being engaged professionally as well. So like looking at myself as a whole person and um, being a mom now, I find myself just by nature of the role uh, that I'm just geeking out about a lot of mom stuff. So <laughs> um, there's a uh, there's a book that's called The Fifth Trimester by Lauren Smith Brody. And it talks about a mom's transition back to work as um, kind of, so let me backtrack because Dustin, you don't have children, you're not, <laughs> you won't, won't be pregnant yourself, so you may not be familiar with these terms mm -hmm. and some of the listeners might not be either. So when you're pregnant, you have three trimesters and then a lot of doctors say that when the baby is born, the first three months are like a fourth trimester because it's a newborn that doesn't really know how to function in the outside world. So they're, um, they're kind of dealing with that transition. So it's almost like a baby is born too early. They should be, they need this fourth trimester to get adjusted. And then this woman wrote this book called the fifth trimester, which is basically when the working mom is born. So it's after the newborn phase is over. That's about 12 weeks. And that's in the United States. That's typically when women go back to work for maternity leave, from maternity leave. So I've been learning a lot and kind of geeking out on what it means to be a working mom and how to kind of learn all the tips and tricks as to how to function on not a lot of sleep <laughs> um, and how to... Like if you're going to be breastfeeding, like pumping in the office and um, kind of the, how to be an authentic mom when you're also working and how to be authentic with students about that. So I try to really say like, I'm taking a 20 minute break because I need to, um, you know, pump breast milk for my child. Like I feel like it's important to tell students that that's something that if they choose to have children and they choose to work, this is just the reality of the situation. And I don't want to hide that. So I've kind of been geeking out on this idea of like being a mom, being a working mom, being authentic and kind of making sure that I'm telling that story and it's not all sunshine and roses and I'm not a huge baby person. So like how I've adjusted to that has been a part of my life too. So I just find that I've been kind of geeking out a lot on that. Mm. No, man, I, think, I think that's really like it's really smart and just having that like awareness, I guess, almost of like, because I think people might have difficulties and then in hindsight try to like, you know, maybe if they're having another kid, they might try to like, you know, tinker and kind of pivot or something. But like you're in the midst of it and like you have the self-awareness enough to kind of like, like, okay, let me like try to figure this stuff out or how to do it in the best way that I can. And like, you know, yeah, it's just, 
interesting. And I, I, I like that kind of, um, that kind of framework of like the, like the fourth and fifth trimester. And so, cause it kind of like, you know, people just kind of accept like, Oh, you know, babies go through trimesters and they're born and all that. But it's like, you know, continuing that thing that people just accept and it's easy, I think for people to understand because it's, you know, very familiar, um, or, you know, kind of familiar enough. So, um, yeah, that's, that's interesting. And I think, yeah, it's like good on you for like, you know, taking parenthood and being a mom, like seriously enough to be like, let me like read some stuff. Let me like try to, you know, <laughs> even just for like yourself personally. Cause I know like, I, cause I think, yeah, people will give advice and I don't know maybe how you like, if it was really just like in your core, like you kind of went on this journey, um, of like reading these kind of books and stuff on your own or if like people give you advice about it. But, um, yeah, I think it, it's like my mom gave me the advice, which I, I want to share with the world cause it was great. And I really appreciate her authenticity cause now she has two grown children. Like I'm about to be 30, like we're out and about in the world. Um, yeah. and she was just like, yeah, as you're like, you know, getting married and, you know, having your own kids and building your own family. It's like, don't lose yourself in that. Like she's just kind of now like mm. being able to go on her own journey. So it's that idea of like, okay, like what's going on with me? How can I, you know, make sure I'm in a good place to be a good parent and to be continue to be the, awesome human that I am that, you know, has brought a life into this world and is still, you know, you know, working and doing everything else. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I appreciate cause again, it's like, you know, a lot of people say, you know, the typical stuff that you're geeking out about and it's nice to see patterns and how people kind of take Harry Potter's or, you know, Lord of the Rings or whatever. Um, but like geeking out about being a parent, you know, it's like a <laughs> very unique and very cool. So, <laughs> Um, yeah, I appreciate it. You kind of have, yeah. you kind of don't have a choice. It's all consuming. So you yeah. do have to geek out about it in some way, but your mom's advice is awesome. That yeah. is such good advice. I wish someone had told me that earlier. Um, yeah. cause that's been really difficult for me. And I think you can be mindful of that if you do decide to have children and working with, um, Jen, your partner, just because for a mom, especially, I think the identity shift, you're no matter how much your you as a partner want to balance those responsibilities and take things off her plate there are certain things that are just always going to fall on the mom and my my partner Dan he's amazing he does so much for me but there's still that identity shift and I I still find myself kind of grieving Krista before children but I have to be mindful that it's not a loss it's a shift and so like just keeping that in the back of your mind, that's why I think your mom's advice is so great is it she's going to lose and you're going to lose too, like a part of who Dustin is right now, but you have to be, think of it as a shift and not as a loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. And like, it, it, yeah. And I guess if it's like the shift or just sort of like, you know, being put on the bench, it's like, they're still there or like the things yeah. that I did, it's like, you know, I can still share that with, you know, uh, a future potential child or whatever, you know, like it's like, yeah, it's not as if it's like gone and forgotten and, you know, locked away or something. It's just like, yeah, I did stuff and I can like share that with my child, like my interests or things that I enjoyed doing as a kid or something. But yeah, it's definitely, definitely a shift. And um, yeah, I mean, it's certainly because uh, like, I guess it's, yeah, the idea, like you said, it's, it's an all encompassing thing in your life to have a child. But I think some people, again, it's like if, if you, it's no shame on them or anything, but it's just like if you don't have that the self-awareness you might not really try to like you know invest in yourself and make sure that you're kind of taking care of yourself in that process or kind of just like i don't know maybe not taking it like seriously enough or something but i think it's just everybody yeah. comes at it from an angle and then you might like in hindsight be like oh i should have done this or should have done that. you know like but yeah it's it's a a beautiful chaotic mess as life is <laughs> so, uh, so true yeah um but uh 
Well, I guess maybe like any, if there was any of those like bits of advice or like just those things that, you know, you're reading and you're kind of plugging into right now, like how are they kind of positively contributing? Like if there was, um, I don't know, like maybe a, a moment that, or, you know, just like an anecdote or a quote or something that comes to mind of just like, how has this been meaningful for you in terms of like, you know, really digging into almost like this, I guess for like, you know, like almost like the academic side of like parent, you know, like kind of like zooming out a little bit and then like, obviously you still have to be a mom day to day, but like, how has that kind of shift for you, you know, specifically been like really positive? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I do love what you just said about like embracing the mess because I think it's just a mess for a while and you have to be okay with that. And know, I think knowing that, that, that everything is a stage and a phase and there's a limited time that you have to deal with certain things. So like, first three months, you may not really be functioning very well at all as a human being. You might just be taking it minute to minute and very animalistic, like basic needs met. And then for the next three months, you're kind of a little better, but maybe you still only shower like once every four days. But, and then, you know, <laughs> um, and I like love showering. So that's yeah. really difficult <laughs> for me. Um, and then now that we're now past six months, it's like, okay, now I can make it up priority that I'm going to shower every day. I'm going to work out once a week. I'm going to care for myself. Like I actually, um, I like, uh, listening to the minimalists podcast mm. occasionally, and they always talk about core values. And so after I had the baby, I thought like, I need to come up with what my core values are to make sure that I'm addressing at least one of those at all times, um, with the baby. So for me, it's, care for myself, um, care for others, which obviously I'm doing with a baby. So that kind of is irrelevant in this conversation, making learning a priority, living mindfully, and then making sure that I'm leading the way and role modeling for others. So like doing this podcast, I'm being able to learn something. I'm being able to kind of lead the way and role model and talk about my experiences. I'm taking time for myself to do this. So um, I have to make sure that I'm everything that I'm doing or saying yes to is addressing one of those things. And if it's not, then it's probably not the best use of my time. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to focus on those values and that taking some time to actually sit down and think about what those are was, was pretty important for me too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, their podcast is good. Yeah. I'll cherry pick some episodes every once in a while, but it's just kind of like what's on my mind and they'll, they'll talk about a particular topic, but, um, yeah, I think that's uh, it's good advice and because sometimes it helps you to figure out what you should do and other times it might help you to figure out like what not to do if it's just like, you know mm -hmm. what, it's not a good use of my time, which is limited to, you know, do X, Y, or Z thing. But then you could also be like, but you know what, it would be great for this other person. You know, it's not as if like you're not doing it so it doesn't happen. It could be like, hey, colleague or friend or whoever, like, would you like to volunteer at this organization? I, I really can't right now or it's not, you know, what I should be doing or what. But, um, well, I guess... Um, you know, with that podcast, uh, with the time that you do have as you're trying to, I guess, uh, you know, learn more. Um, is there anything that you'd like to just kind of name drop that you're reading, watching and or listening to that we can uh, include in the show notes? Sure. Uh, so I have limited free time. So when I do have free time, it has to be something awesome <laughs> that I'm doing. Uh, and it also has to be something that my partner can can enjoy as well because we want to spend some time together, but some, you know, we have to find something that we share that we enjoy. So I just, I feel like I'm not sure if I'm late to the party or like slightly 
ahead of the party or like in the party of watching um, Schitt's Creek on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, great comedy, hysterical. I don't know if you've seen it, Dustin, but yeah, um, it's pretty funny. And I'm I'm now at the point where they're starting to like address some like real issues and social issues. And obviously class is a big uh, topic that comes up and they're in like a white working class town and they're very they're from like a high class background so i look at it from that perspective and then one of the characters is pansexual so he doesn't really uh he's very open to kind of falling in love and relationships with people of all genders and um so that's been kind of interesting for me it sounds like you've seen some episodes Mm -hmm. as well yeah jen's watched Um, it yeah (laughs) yeah and it's it's also really funny so that helps um and then i'm I'm definitely late to the party on this one, but I love the new Queer Eye on Netflix, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it is unbelievably good. I've cried multiple times <laughs> while watching it. And again, I find that it hits, not only is it entertaining, but it also is kind of this social justice perspective of having um, this group of gay men move from tolerance, which was the original Queer Eye for the straight guy like about 10 years ago, to this idea of acceptance, inclusion. Um, they talk about uh, white police officers and black men. They talk about, uh, they actually make over a gay man who's not out to his family. And I know they have a new season coming out actually this week, I think. And they're talking about, they're working with a trans person. They're working with a woman. So it's really, uh, the things I guess you could say that I'm into are things that kind of are, that transcend just entertainment. So I'm always trying to find a way to get something out of the experience of what I'm watching and geeking out on. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, yeah, I tend to look at everything with like a critical lens and sometimes it's like, you know, yeah, it's just kind of check your brain at the door kind of entertainment and you kind of accept like, okay, it's not going to be the best, but yeah, it's like, I think the best stuff or the stuff I enjoy the most does have like, yeah, like it's, not completely tone deaf it's 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 smart it knows what it's doing it's advocating for stuff that matters and trying to normalize it so um yeah (laughs) and i like that idea of like these are the things that you are spending your limited amount of time on so it's like this is a full endorsement it's not just like no you know i'm just kind of like into this stuff or whatever it's like i'm choosing to watch these shows and i think both of those are great shows to recommend and uh you know yeah to just like uh share with your partner and just kind of unwind and uh, but still have kind of like an emotional resonance and uh, (laughs) critical uh critical point of view but um so yeah we'll wrap up the episode here um on the optimistic note that i like to uh uh, end on here so uh what are you uh like some thing or things that you are looking forward to in your job life and or the world so i love this question i love that you ask it at the end of the podcast uh also to kind of send it off but i think for me like i mentioned my core values this idea of kind of leading the way and role modeling i look at myself as a working mom as a role model for others, but particularly for my daughter, for Mira, to show that if she likes work, if she wants to be engaged in the world and, you know, engaging with people and and doing things that make a positive impact, then it's a positive thing to be a working mom. I try not to look at it as a deficit of like, I'm not spending time with my child. I try to look at it as a role model. So I'm looking forward to being able to be that role model for her through work, through I'm looking forward to eventually one day getting a PhD. It might be in like five years, but still looking forward to kind of having that 
to role model for her and for others. And then just kind of seeing her grow up and evolve into her own person and, and getting this practice of raising a child who is in my mind, who I hope will go on to make like a really positive impact, to be a feminist, to be an activist, to do uh, kind of take all this great work that's happening in the world and these movements and kind of take it to the next level. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that all pans out. I don't like to put expectations on her, but I would like to say I have an expectation (laughs) that she'll like do something good (laughs) in the world. So I'm kind of looking forward to all of that uh, in the future. Yeah, for sure. And it's like, yeah, I think that idea of like, even if it's just like, yeah, like they don't have to just be like a clone of you that does everything and that whatever it's like, at least in some aspects, it's like you've been like running with the torch for a while. And it's like, I would hope that they would like run alongside me sometimes, like as we're kind of, you know, uh, sharing interests or sort of uh, causes or something like that. But um, yeah, because my brother just had a uh, had a child so it's like being an uncle you know that idea oh, of like congratulations yeah, thank you um because i think yeah sharing in the same spirit of just like excited to see uh see her grow up and um just be able to be a part of her life and just like it definitely clicks in that different idea of like um yeah obviously just like wanting to be around wanting to be that role model and um yeah so i think uh as I said before, and this is where we're like talking about doing this podcast, kudos to you for balancing all that you do and, uh, you know, working to be that, uh, that role model. And, um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool to see, I think how, which I think, yeah, it's just, it's only been a couple of months, um, since, uh, my niece was born too. Like, it's certainly this like gradual kind of like kind of taking up this identity and integrating it into your life. And like, is it not looking at it as like a deficit, but just as like, this is who I am. And it's, you know, it's a good thing. It's, you know, it's a kind of a, uh, a positive thing to be working and contributing to the world and, um, being able to yeah share that value with your, with your child. So, um, Awesome. Well, yeah, I appreciate you sharing all that you did. And, uh, you know, we'll have everything that we uh, mentioned in this episode in the show notes as usual. And, uh, yeah, really appreciate your time. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure I'll talk to you again soon. Just have a uh, good rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me. This podcast is a proud member of the Connect EDU podcast network, bringing together diverse voices and thoughtful discussions to the higher ed community. Check us out online at connectedu.network or on Twitter at connectedupod. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.